I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 18. It's actually been a, a really fun week of like lots of really cool memories and experiences. Uh, those of us who uh, took part in the, the softball game last Sunday after church, that was just like the most fun I'd had in a long time. Um, I, I, just, I, I just, man, I forgot how much I love playing the game of ball. But uh, anyway, uh, and then the next day, we took our high schoolers to uh, the Crux group. We took them to Harper's Ferry, and we did tubing uh, out there and, and tube, uh, went tubing in the, uh, was, I guess it was the Potomac, I think, that we were in at the time. Um, but that was an incredible amount of fun. Uh, and then on Wednesday night, Brian Wagner and I, we got to go see the Rolling Stones. And that was just, uh, man, you know, I don't know if you saw it on social media, a couple rock and roller out of controllers hanging out in the uh, air conditioning concourse. The, uh, the, the club level there, that was, that was a lot of fun before the show. And then, um, <clears throat> and then 4th of July. Um, so it was just a, a week full of fun. But yesterday, actually, I actually had one of the most precious experiences um, that I'd had in a while. And it wasn't because directly of happy circumstances. A close friend of my parents a man by the name of Tommy Gonzalez died, passed away on, uh, mon- on Monday. Actually, it was with my brother when we found out. Uh, it just happened to be with my brother Mike on Monday when we got back from the, uh, the tubing, the Harper's Ferry. This guy was awesome. My father just called him Gons, and the first thing I remember about him was that he was the most incredible electric guitar player I've ever met. Uh, He was in a slew of Baltimore-based rock bands, and a few times I even happened to be in the right place at the right time, and I was privileged to kind of sit in on a jam session or two. There was actually this one time when uh, he he was, like my dad would say, man, he he would never, Tommy would never play country. And I was sitting around, we were in this, uh, you know, when when we're kind of playing with my dad on his porch, and he has these jam sessions and things like that. It's a lot of fun. And my dad starts like pointing at people like, oh, just bring a song. Just start playing a song. And I was already nervous enough just being in the room with these guys and that my dad points at me, Joe, play a song for us, you know, and we'll all, we'll all join in because my dad's a harmonica player. And then, of course, Tommy was there with his guitar. And the only song that I could think of that I knew like start to finish without, um, you know, knew the whole thing was, was Johnny Cash's Folsom Prison Blues. And Dad was like, oh, we're not going to play that, are we? And Tommy's like, no, no, let's play it, let's play it. And he starts playing with me to, to Johnny Cash's Folsom Prison Blues, even though they said, oh, Tommy would never play country. Um, this guy was a, an amazing musician, but he was also a remarkable human being. You might remember a few, um, I spoke a few weeks ago about my parents' uh, separation and divorce and about how God showed up in my life through a variety of different people that he brought into our family's life at just the right time. And, and Tommy was one of those people. He was a trusted friend of both my parents. And for me, he bridged a gap between my parents that was at the time otherwise unbridgeable. I never knew him well myself, but I was heartbroken this past week to learn that he had passed away. Of course, as these things typically go, though, When I went to the viewing and the funeral, um, this time of of mourning and sadness, it it turned into an occasion for reminiscence and reconnecting with folks that I hadn't seen in decades. So yesterday, I got to go have dinner with my parents, 
uh, and a bunch of their friends and kind of listen to them tell these wild stories about the old days. Uh, you know, they kept going, like, Joe, close your ears. I'm like, Mom, I'm 37 years old. You know, the, 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 and some of the stories even included my childhood. You know, the tears, they turned into laughter. And I was again reminded that even in the midst of the darkness of uh, divorce, I was reminded how precious my childhood was. And as I sat there at the table, I just repeatedly thanked God for placing such people and such experiences in my life. It, it was funny, though, that one of the pieces of conversation revolved around what would happen with Tommy's guitar collection. In fact, his family had set out this very nice Gibson Les Paul right next to the casket at the viewing, and it was a matter of some discussion as to what would happen to it. Some thought it should be given to a young guitarist, and others thought it should, it should stay with the family, but some even thought that it should be buried along with them. In the end, I, I don't know what they ended up doing, but it did strike me, looking at this man for whom I held such a deep respect, lying next to this awesome guitar, which in the end is just an object. I just felt God's tug reminding me and asking me, what is truly precious to you? So we're continuing this morning in our series, Surrender, by talking about possessions, surrendering possessions. And let me just say right out of the gate that if I was to own a Gibson Les Paul, it would be one of my more cherished possessions. But because I was thinking about this sermon, that whole experience over the past few days, it got me thinking about whether or not memories, memories could be considered possessions. I remain thankful for my childhood memories, but could they be sensationalized and idolized the same way that a $3,000 guitar could, perhaps? The amount of life lost by people reminiscing the old, the good old days is probably quite large. But then again, I think that all of our talk about possessions gets back to that Abrahamic covenant and the call that we all, all of our, are blessed to be a blessing. Why were we blessed by this possession or this precious memory in the first place? Well, first of all, I don't think there is anything wrong with us acknowledging that they bring us joy. And I don't think there's anything wrong with a person owning private property, but at some point, I think we have to ask ourselves, is this thing getting in the way of our relationship with God? And maybe even a step further, is this thing preventing me from being a blessing to others? Are you hoarding your blessings for yourself, or, or are you using them in some way to bless others? I mean, Tommy Gonzalez may have owned an expensive guitar, but the most vivid memories of him that I have are of him playing for other people's enjoyment. He loved playing for others. He loved that it brought them joy. That's what those people at the funeral were all talking about, the joy that this man brought to others through his music and his life. That is what, think of what it is that you cherish most in this world, and ask that simple question, that simple question that we asked last week, is there any part of this, is there any part of this possession, is there any part of this memory, is there any part of this thing that I cherish that displaces God from the throne of my heart? Is there something in owning this possession that somehow gets in the way of me glorifying God? In regards to the memories, have you become so lost in longing for days gone by that you've lost 
energy for the days ahead. There's a story that appears in all three synoptic gospels, Mark, Matthew, Luke, of a wealthy young man who approaches Jesus. This is Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. uh, Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 18. As Luke tells the story, he refers to this man as a ruler, which may have meant that he was an important leader in a synagogue. It's not really clear. What is clear is that Jesus uses this interaction to certainly teach us something about possessions, but also a whole lot more, I think. So turn to Luke 18, beginning in verse 18. And a ruler asks him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So the first thing to mention is this man was not asking Jesus how he might get to heaven when he died. This was a very Jewish question. This man was asking Jesus what he would have to do in order to position himself on the side of those who were vindicated when Yahweh is finally placed on Israel's throne. How do I get my share? Because I don't want to miss out. Jesus' first move is to place this man's heart in check, and he responds, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, the smart reader sees this and immediately begins to think about the the incarnation. I mean, wait a minute, isn't Jesus supposed to be God incarnate? Yes. But apparently, that's not the lesson that Jesus wants to teach here. He wants instead to look at this man's heart and walk him through the things which, is place, which he is placing on the throne of his life other than God. You're asking me what it takes to get into the club, but you've already forgotten that any next step, any vindication, any glory that you might experience will only happen as a part of God's provision and God's plan because he's at the center. Let's get that straight right up front. Jesus goes on. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Of course, Jesus is mentioning five of the Ten Commandments. And if there was anything that Israel held as a precious possession, it was their law. So Jesus puts that which the man is supposedly treasuring and gives it right back to him, and the man is quick to respond, well, all these I've kept from my youth. Now, you and I both know that this guy hadn't kept those commandments completely since, his, that, since that morning, let alone since his childhood. Maybe he hadn't ever slept with a woman who was his wife, but had he treated a woman as an object and lusted after her? Maybe he hadn't murdered another human being, but had he allowed his hatred towards others to control his actions? Maybe he hadn't ever stolen goods from a marketplace, but does that mean that that greed hadn't affected his business practices? We don't know the circumstances of this man's life, but we do know how sin works. We take those precious possessions called the law, and then we legalize them, and we interpret them, and we place ourselves on the judgment throne, and we say things like, well, it was just a little white lie. Or, you know, she wants men to treat her like that, right? We justify all sorts of sinful behavior in the name of rule following. And in that sense, rules can be a very dangerous possession. Rules 
can become a very dangerous idol. Jesus, however, does not call the man on, out on the reality of the sin in his life. Instead, he responds with a blunt challenge. One thing you still lack. Sell all you have. Distribute it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Now, this man had been holding on to these possessions in order to convince himself that he had played the game of life just well enough to get in. We do this all the time, don't we? Oftentimes, when folks find out I'm a pastor, they often want to explain to me that it's funny how quick they will find a way into the conversation to explain to me why they don't need the church. Maybe it's a defense mechanism, or maybe they're just testing me to see if I attempt to correct them, because if I do that, then they'll just accuse me of being a judgmental religious leader, and then they're off the hook. But I try to discipline myself to first and foremost, listen, I sit and I listen to their logic of how they believe that if you're just a good person, not doing the big sins like murder and rape and theft, well, then God is going to wrap your arms around, wrap his arms around you one day and just kind of say, well, get in here, you big knucklehead. You see, the thing is that that has never been the gospel. It's never been the good news good enough. To really understand the good news, we have to understand the bad news, or at least what we might interpret as the bad news. And the bad news is that Jesus had a very strict interpretation of these laws. Jesus wasn't interested in a liberal interpretation that allowed you to remain in his good graces based on technicalities. He's going to say things like, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, right? But I say to you that everyone who looks at a man, uh, looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members, one of your body parts, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. So let's be clear. Jesus did not come to water down the law. The problem with this rich young ruler was that he had been taking these commandments and then turning them into little rules, little guidelines that were just bendable enough to help him get by. And the thing is, that is not the truth that Jesus came to proclaim. Jesus came to proclaim an eternal kingdom for eternal people. And you and I, we do not enter that kingdom through technicalities. We enter it only through righteousness. There was once a, a seminary professor who was kind of a jerk, but a lovable jerk all the same. And one day he, he gets in front of the class and he says, class, I, I need to know what you think about something. I need to know what you, what you believe. Um, are Christians saved by faith or by works? Well, he went around the room, and he pointed at each person in the room, and, and one by one, each one of them said, well, faith, 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 faith. We're saved by faith. And after he finished going around the room, he said, well, gosh, I'm sorry, but uh, I have to disagree with all of you because I think we're saved by works. He said, you know, Scripture tells us that the just shall live by faith or by allegiance, if you like, from last week. But None of you ever affected your own salvation merely because of your ascension to belief. 
No, let's be crystal clear about something. You are saved because of works, just not your works. You are saved by the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. The redeeming work of Jesus Christ on the cross who died for your sins and rose again in order to welcome you into the life of new creation. The righteousness that we trust in is not our own. It is that of Jesus, who is the only one who ever truly lived out the law to its fullest extent. Jesus looks at this rich young ruler after he had told him of all the rules that he spent his life following. And he says, you know, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have, distribute it to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. Trust in me. Place God on the throne of your life. Stop using these possessions that you have, whether they be rules to follow or items to hoard, to attempt to earn your way into salvation, and just trust me. Follow me. Trust in my righteousness, not yours. Trust in my works, not yours. Although Luke says, when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Mark and Matthew add he had, he had great possessions. And, and there it is, right? That, that's the spotlight, right? He, he was this wealthy guy who by all appearances, be they religious appearances or business appearances, by all appearances, the guy was doing quite well. All oh, the bills were paid. He had it made in the shade. But when the spotlight of true righteousness shined on this kingdom that this guy had created for himself, the truth came out that he still lacked one thing, surrender. Surrender. He hadn't surrendered any of it to God. How do we know this? Because God himself asked it of him and he walked away. Matthew and Mark both add that this man walked away sorrowful because he had great possessions. John D. Rockefeller, who was one of the the wealthiest men of all time, was once asked how much more money it would take to make him happy. His response was just a little bit more. The call to sell everything and give it to the poor is not the call of everyone. Please don't read this passage and assume that Jesus is calling all of us to do exactly what he asked that rich man to do. But but the far more important question, the far more pressing question right now, the question that you can ask right now in your seat, the question he is asking, Jesus is asking of us right now, is have you surrendered it all to God? Have you surrendered what you have to God? To, to, to God? What, do, what is it that God wants? He wants everything. Have you surrendered those things that you cherish most to him? Have you cherished your thoughts and your memories to him? Have you cherished your possessions to him? Have you surrendered your bank account to him? Have you surrendered everything that you would hold precious in this world and say, no, Lord, it's yours? Have you followed his lead and discipled yourself to understand that, that all blessings flow from your heavenly Father? Or will you continue to lead a lie that says it's your kingdom? It, it, this is my kingdom. This is my righteousness. This is my works. This is my wealth. This is my possessions. And how powerful, how powerful then is the scene. Jesus, seeing that this man had become sad, sorrowful, because he had so many possessions, and 
He watches him walk away. He watches him walk away from the king of kings. And he makes this comment to his disciples. He says, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to to enter into the kingdom of God. You know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. My English teacher in high school loved to quote that line. He he thought it proved that Jesus was really some jerk who asked too much of his disciples. But, But for Peter and the others that heard it, their response was actually quite profound. Those who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? And I think that that may have warmed Jesus' heart a little bit. Oh, that guy didn't get it. But maybe these guys do. Maybe they're starting to get it, these guys that I'm about to send into the world to go and make disciples of all nations. Maybe I'm finally starting to get through. And Jesus turns to them and he says, you know, what's impossible with man is possible with God. You see, you guys are absolutely right. If, if you're trusting in your own ability to build the kingdom or earn your salvation, that's going to be impossible. Because my kingdom is eternal, and it's for eternal people. And the only way in is righteousness. My righteousness offered freely to you. I only ask that you surrender your life to the one who authored it in the first place and follow me on the only path that is worth walking. And Peter loved Peter. He says, well, see, we've, we've lost our homes. We, we've left our homes to follow you, Lord. And Jesus says to them, Peter, I truly say to you, there is no one who left a house or a wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, the one who were, was really following God's direction there. There's no one who will not receive many more times, more in this time and in the age to come, uh, eternal life. Uh, Again, make no mistake, the call of the disciples was not the call to everyone in this room, literally, physically. Obviously, there was something special going on in that moment between Jesus and his closest followers, but what is the eternal question is the call to surrender. Are you willing to surrender this to God? Are you willing to to take the sacrifice, to make the sacrificial play and say, no, God, this life is yours. My work is yours. My bank account is yours. Every possession that I have, these things that I cherish so much, I'm going to use it for your glory, not my own. And even when we say that the reason I have this thing, this guitar or this television set or this thing. Yeah, there's lots of things that bring me joy, but, but ultimately my, my prayer should be is that I see these possessions and I see these memories and I see everything that I cherish as things that, yeah, may enrich my soul, they may help refill my batteries, but always for the purpose that then I get to reflect that joy and that blessing back into a world that is desperate for Jesus' love. And if there are those possessions that you have and they say, you know what, this is actually getting in the way of my glorification of his kingdom, then maybe we need to make that difficult conversation, that difficult call and say, no, I I need to put this down. I, I need to take this thing that I cherish and I need to remove it from my life in order that I can put Jesus properly on the throne. This week, 
Uh, my family and I are going on vacation. I won't be here next week. Um, Rick Faint is going to come and, and uh, preach for us. I'm really looking forward. I had lunch with him this week, and uh, we talked about what it is he's going to talk about next week. He's going to talk about our points of view and surrendering our point of view to God. And he's going to tell us a little bit about his story and the story of um, Grace Fellowship that, that planted us. And I'm really looking forward to you all hearing from him. But while I'm away... I'm going to spend time with my family, and I'm going to spend time with the things in my life that I cherish the most, my wife and my two sons. And my prayer is that every step along the way, every one of those 20-some hours that we're going to spend in that car, (laughs) every one of them I would cherish not for my glory, not for the glory of my family, but for the glory of God that I would look back and I would say, oh gosh, Lord, I would do that all again. Just to spend time with my family and just be so thankful for that and how that brings me joy to spend time um, on this adventure with them. But I also need to remember that it's all for his glory. It's all his path. I'm following his lead, not my own. And in that light, I think all of us just can make that question about whatever it is we find ourselves in this coming week. What is it that you, you wake up tomorrow morning and you set your mind to something, you're going to about to do something, you're going to go to work, you're going to um, go on vacation or whatever you're going to do, ask yourself to keep that in check and to say, am I doing this in such a way of surrendering this to God? Or have I done this in a way that just glorifies my kingdom and bends my rules rather than his perfect love. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this uh, beautiful summer that we've been having with all these incredible adventures. I know something of the, um, of the adventures that my friends here today have been uh, embarking on this summer, and I just uh, I thank you for them. I thank you for those memories, and they certainly are something to cherish. But Father, we, we give them all to your glory. And we say that all of these are blessings that come from you for the benefit of your kingdom and for the benefit of your children. Father, help us keep in check those possessions, those things, those things that we cherish. Help us to make the difficult call to remove them. Help us to have accountability partners and house church friends and people that say, you know, to, to speak truth into our lives when it's needed. Help us to look and seek out those people that can help us stay in check. And we say that, no, 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 this this thing needs to be removed. This thing is getting in the way of glorifying God. And I love you too much to see this thing take over your life. Help me have that kind of a friendship with, with my family and with my friends here at New Hope. I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ.